Let us turn now to the New Testament, to the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 4 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. <clears throat> From uh, the 14th verse of the second chapter in this letter, Paul is speaking particularly about the glory of the gospel of Christ. He speaks of it as a triumphant movement, in which uh, people are caught up. It is either a savour of life unto life or a savour of death unto death. He then goes on to think of it, consider it as a message which is far superior and far more glorious than the Mosaic law. And uh, tells us in the third chapter that when people look by faith to Christ in the gospel that they are transformed into the image of God by the Holy Spirit. Having said that, Paul recognizes as he continues to write this letter to the Corinthians that uh, there are many people who fail to see the glory of God in the gospel. It is preached to many and there are many who do not believe what is brought before them. To many the gospel is a closed book or as someone has put it an impenetrable mystery. And recognizing that Paul himself says that he is not prepared to give up preaching it. He is not prepared to shrink from the duty of proclaiming it. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Together with that, he is not prepared to entertain the, the, uh, a false uh, approach to the gospel. He abhors methods and devious means to persuade men in the hope of being labeled as a result of that, perhaps, a success. The tactics, he says, of the crooked salesman are abhorrent to him. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handing the word of God deceitfully. The gospel, he goes on to say, witnesses to its own power, my manifestation of the truth, commending yourself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And thus the gospel witnesses to its own power and to its own glory. So there seems to be an objection raised. As Paul is writing this letter, you can almost see someone peering over his shoulder and saying to him, very well then, if that is what you claim, why is it that there are so few people who believe it? And he answers, if our gospel be hid, it is said to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. And he tells us, therefore, that there are two reasons why people don't believe it. First of all, they're blind to its glory, the fault is in themselves. And then secondly, there is a satanic activity going on in their minds, even as the gospel is brought before them, even as they are confronted with the claims of Christ in the gospel. The God of this world is blinding their minds in case they believe in case the light of the gospel should shine into them now <clears throat> this in one sense in many senses is what makes the preaching of the gospel I suggest to you so very difficult that you come and you proclaim the truths you present them and you commend them to people and to their conscience, you bid them look, you bid them believe, and you know that you are asking as were blind men to look at a light which they cannot see. And that is why Paul goes on to tell us in verses 5 and 6 that notwithstanding that great difficulty, great obstacle, yet you preach the gospel as he preached the gospel in the hope that the God who created light at the very outset, the God who caused light to shine in the darkness at the beginning of the creation, the God who said, let there be light and there was light, who brought light into that darkness and into that desolation. That is the same God who alone can bring light into the darkened heart and into the darkened mind. This is the hope of Paul this is the hope of the preacher the hope of the Christian church that as a gospel is presented as she attends to her God-given duty that uh, God himself can break into that darkness you know for example that people have um, expressed this perhaps no one better expressed it from his own experience than Robert Murray McChain as he spoke of the way that he lived in dark in the darkness of unbelief to the light of the glory of God broke upon his soul I once was a stranger to grace unto God I knew not my danger and felt not my Lord though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree Jehovah said can you was nothing to me then he went on to speak of his conversion experience but when free grace awoke me by light from on high then legal fear shook me I trembled to die no refuge, no safety in self could I see Jehovah said can you my saviour must be the light had broken in upon his darkness well that is our hope and indeed your hope as the gospel is brought before you. As we look at these words very briefly this evening, what does Paul mean when he says, if our gospel be hid? What is the gospel? Then secondly, look at why this gospel is hidden, the glory of God and the gospel is hidden to you. There are two reasons, as he tells us here. Men are spiritually blind to it, and there is a satanic activity going on in the blinded in their blindness he himself is blind the God of this world blinding in case they see 
the glory of God in the gospel. And then he tells us thirdly what the condition of that man is. That man, he says, is lost. The word gospel be hid. And if it is hid to such, they are lost. And then fourthly, the hope with which the gospel comes to men in their lostness. First of all then, what is the gospel? Now I'm sure that you would agree with the definition that someone once gave of the gospel, that it is the provision by a gracious God of the way in which an alienated sinner may come into a restored relationship and permanent relationship with God as Saviour. The gospel comes to us, the good news of God's provision of a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us that from all eternity God made this provision, that in the fullness of time he sent his own Son into the world to die for sinners. You know that the heart of the gospel is a Saviour who died that we might save. That Saviour lives tonight. He isn't a dead Saviour. He's a living Lord and Saviour. Resurrected, exalted, enthroned at God's right hand. Who is presented to give repentance and remission of sins to men. The one who can give us the grace to repent. And who can, who can uh, give us the faith to receive himself as Lord and Saviour. He is enthroned as the Saviour who has all power and all authority in his possession. The Saviour comes to us with forgiveness and with pardon. With the offer of a restored of, of life in himself and from himself. The Saviour who can bring us into a living, vital relationship with God through faith in himself. The gospel speaks to us of God's love for a lost world, of Christ's love for a lost world, of the love of the Holy Spirit for a lost world. The gospel speaks to us of the ability that God can give you not only to believe in him and to trust him but to love him and to delight in him. It is the good news that comes to every single sinner lost in sin that God has provided a remedy for his rule by which he can be brought into a living relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember how Paul summed it up again writing to Timothy in what Martin Luther called one of the little Bibles. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that is the message of the gospel throughout all the ages. It hasn't varied, it hasn't altered, it hasn't changed one little bit. And what was true, as Paul wrote these words at the end of the first century, is just as true as you and I near the end of the 20th century. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Is that not the gospel? Why then, secondly, do people not believe it? 
Well, because we are told here, because it is hid to them. They are blind to it. And because there is a blinding activity going on within their hearts and within their minds. You see what Paul is telling us here first of all is this. The fault doesn't lie in the gospel. I'm not saying that the fault could, may not lie in the presentation of the gospel. But it doesn't lie in the gospel itself. The gospel is very, very plainly brought before us in the word of God. And I challenge you tonight with reference to the gospel. You read your Bible. And I'm sure that though there are many things in the Bible that you will find difficult, yes, impossible to understand. Yet I'm sure you'd agree that it is plainly set before you in the Bible that there is no way of salvation but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way to God but through Christ. And there is no way to heaven but through Christ. There is no other way. And if you read your Bible, you will, I'm sure at least, appreciate and accept that. So the fault for not believing the gospel does not lie in the gospel itself. It lies with you. There is a veil, as he tells us here in chapter 3, speaking of the Jews reading the Old Testament, which was pointed to Christ. They don't see it. They will refuse to accept it. There is a veil upon their face, a veil upon their understanding. So when you come to look at the gospel and come to hear and come to read it, the reason why you don't believe in the trust in the Lord present to you in it is because there is this veil of unbelief over your mind and your heart. Consequently, you don't see the glory of the grace of God's provision in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't bow down in wonder and in adoration at the eternal and the divine wisdom that planned such a wonderful salvation. You don't thank him that he hasn't left you to save yourself but that he has sent a saviour into the world. You don't see that. As, as, as McChain put it, he just couldn't see it though. Friends spoke in rapture of Christ on a tree. Jehovah said, Can you? Was nothing to me. This is perhaps something which is a cause of great wonder for people who are newly converted. And who are full of the wonder and the thrill of having found Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Full of zeal and witnessing to the grace of God and wanting to bring and to present the claims of Christ before their fellows. And they tell them of the wonder of this grace. And they're astounded that people don't believe what they're telling them. True that there are some of you here tonight who remember when you were newly converted, you thought that all you had to do was just speak a few words and everyone was going to believe what you were going to tell them. Everyone was going to see what you saw. But there was no word that for long enough you lived in the same unbelief that confronted you when you brought the gospel to bear upon them. People just don't see it. Blind to the wonder of no matter how plain it is made, no matter how how persuasively it is presented to them, they cannot see what you see. Don't see the glory of his grace or of his power, of his wisdom and the provision of a Savior. Don't understand it. 
They don't see their need of it. And many don't even want the message of the gospel. And when the gospel is preached, they prepared to come and hear it. As some of you are, no doubt. And we thank God for that. There is no attempt on your part, perhaps, to apply the message of the gospel to yourself. It comes in one ear and out the other. You don't take a single thing with you. And consequently, you are left unmoved in this sense, in that you haven't seen the adequacy of that provision nor your own need of it as it is brought before you. That is the sin of unbelief. Remember how Jesus described conviction of sin. When the Spirit has come into the world, he says, accompanying the preaching of the gospel, he will convince the world of sin, of the sin, that they don't believe. And it seems that, he, that his activity it seems to be more effective. He is blinding the minds of people. This is the misery that is added to their sin. You know, the one, the shorter catechism, when it speaks of effectual calling, it's a work of God's very great, convincing men of their sin and of their misery. And the sin of unbelief is that people don't believe in Jesus Christ. People won't believe in Jesus Christ. And the misery of that condition is this, that they can't believe. <laughs> they can't. And we might as well face facts. They just can't. And there is someone with them who won't allow them to believe. He works in the mind and he works on the heart. He wants to keep them, you see, for himself. He is, as Paul tells us here, the God of this world. The God who has usurped authority, the world of mankind. Man, through Adam, gave himself to the, to the death. He believed the lie. So he put himself in Satan's hands. And what happens when the gospel comes is that God and Christ in the gospel wants to win people, men and women, boys and girls, from the, from the, from the hand of Satan, from the power and from the authority and from the blinding influence of Satan upon the line. The gospel bids you look to one who can deliver you from the power of Satan. How does he go about this activity? How does he engage in this activity? Well, let me just bring before you one or two things. If some of you ever come across the book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, read it, get it, and read it. Most interesting, and tells you there the tactics that Satan employs to keep men in a state of spiritual blindness. Let me just mention one or two things to you. <clears throat> How many people, for example, at the evening as they listen to the gospel, entertain false hopes regarding their own salvation and regarding their own hopes for heaven? Are you saved? You don't need to go to the central belt to get an answer to that question like this. You can get it from any people in store and it's a whole of Are you saved? Well, no, but uh, I'm praying. At least I'm praying. I'm hoping to be. Oh, I'm not uh, a good person yet, but uh, I'm not altogether. I'm not all that bad. 
Perhaps I must go to something and maybe I'm even better than most. You see, there are many people who are building their hopes of salvation on their own works, their own efforts. And it's what cuts across the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has sent the Savior into the world. He has died for sinners. The work of salvation is complete. All you have to do is this. Renounce your own works and come to him. But there's nothing in all the world more difficult for you to do than that. And the devil will suggest to you, you keep on, you keep on. You pray. You pray. You be as good as you can. You keep coming to church, if not regularly, at least occasionally. Give so much and so on, you see. Building your hope for salvation upon your own efforts. The blinding activity of Satan. He will confuse people regarding the gospel. He won't allow you to get a clear perception of what it's saying and of your own relationship and your own uh, accountability to God. He will confuse you with the teachings of the word of God. If you begin to think about salvation, that this awful problem of the reformed churches forever seem to harp on what about this doctrine of election and predestination and so on. And he will get you to start thinking about these things and these things make it difficult for you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose that this is in one sense where our responsibility of, as preachers comes in that uh, we have to make it our business to make the gospel as plain as we possibly can. Look at how Paul speaks of it here in chapter 3. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. I don't think that you and I should despise the plain presentation of the gospel. There are, it is possible, as one of the Puritans says, it is possible for preachers to paint the glass to keep out the light. And that's perfectly possible. So as we have to remember, as someone has put it, that the best oratory is that which draws men to Christ. So, he will blind you to the glory of the gospel by colouring it in such a way that you don't understand it. Using people like me to present it in a way that will confuse you. You don't know what is right and what is wrong. Then the day people wonder what exact what anyway is the gospel. What am I meant to do? Where am I meant to come? What am I meant to say? He will keep your mind and grasp with anything except the gospel. He will keep your mind and grasp with the affairs of this life, with the world in which you live. The world is so alluring, you see. The gospel is like a light that shines in a dark place like neon light in the center of a city. It shines in the darkness. But there are other lights, of course. They don't compare with the light of the gospel, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But this world brings its own light to bear upon the lives of men and women, boys and girls. It is so attractive, so alluring. And the world is, present, it is so presentable. And it becomes so desirable. And just Jesus who reminded his own audience, what shall the prophet a man, though he gained the whole world? What of your life is made up, day or night, with the affairs of this life? This life is going to end. 
Satan won't allow you to believe that. You live as though you were always going to be in this world. And you want it, and you want more and more and more of it. Anything, as long as it doesn't allow you to see the glory of Christ which bursts in through the gospel into the darkness of this world that you like so much. Then of course you won't allow your conscience to be troubled. As long as it keeps you feeling nice and easy sitting in church and reading the Bible and hearing the gospel, that's fine as far as he's concerned. Don't start thinking about your sins and don't start thinking about what sin will lead you. Don't start thinking about going on and on and on in sin. He won't allow you to be upset about these things. It's great to sit in a church for an hour and a half to feel at peace and to go home and to feel at peace. If the gospel was being effective, you wouldn't feel like that. You ought to feel more troubled about your sin and where it is leading you. But Satan won't allow you to think like that. He will keep you from reading your Bible, keep you from engaging in prayer. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Search the scriptures, he said to his generation. Search them. But the devil will present something else to you. He doesn't want you to read the Bible. And if he does, he doesn't want you to spend too long at it. He will divert your attention and your minds from the gospel even as you hear it. Even if you sat here tonight and if I were to preach the gospel, and I wish I could, if I were to preach the gospel, say, 15, 20, for 30 minutes, look in that period of time, the amount of things that you've thought of, the places your mind has gone to, the people you've thought of, the things even you've seen in this church that have taken up your attention and perhaps for five minutes you've wandered and you haven't a clue what has been said or what has been said. And you're back now. Well, see, I've got your attention just for a minute. Where is your mind straight as you come in here tonight? The gospel is God's provision for lost sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you thought of your own sinnership? Have you thought of your own need of Christ as Saviour? Have you prayed even as you sat here tonight, Lord, open my eyes, that I might see the glory of God in the gospel. That's his activity. He will raise doubt in your mind about the truthfulness and about the trustworthiness of the gospel. He will raise up people who will lead you to think that the gospel, the Bible, ah, that's just a collection of Jewish papers. That's only a book for the Jews. That's not for me. I'm far more enlightened than that. I don't believe all that nonsense. Oh, yes, my friend, there were some great men in the world and greater than you, intellect, intellectual giants, like Augustine, who said of his own pre-converted days, I disdain to become a child again. He wasn't prepared, as it were, to come down to that level and to accept the truth of God and the truth of Christ in the word of his grace. And I tell you this, if you pride yourself tonight in that kind of attitude, one day your eye will be opened, but maybe it will be far, far too late. There are lots of people out there in this lost world who are whistling in the dark, who claim that this is just as someone said, quite recent on a radio program, brought up in this part of the world. I don't believe the Bible. Just a collection, he says, of Jewish stories and fables. Priding himself 
in the vastness of his own intellectual attainment. And besides, some of the men and the women of God are mere pygmy. Ah, yes, what was said by Paul, I quote the text ready. Equally true tonight. It's faithful. It's worthy of acceptation. It has stood the test of time. And many people before you have discovered this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He will blind you by quenching any convictions that you may have concerning the gospel. There are some of you, I said earlier, that there are some people, eh, perhaps you get the impression that some people, unconverted people, sit unmoved. Sabbath after Sabbath, year after year, under the gospel, that is not true. I don't believe for one minute that that is true. I believe that there are some people who do have, from time to time, convictions about salvation and about their own need of salvation. But I also know this, that the devil is very adept at directing their attention to something else, so these convictions are quenched. So any thoughts and feelings that they have vanished before they pass through perhaps the door of a church, maybe before they get home. All you have to do is put someone in your company who will speak about the weather or speak about a television program, speak about something else. And what you've heard and what you've felt, it's gone. That's his activity. Do you realize that? That's his activity. He doesn't want you. He doesn't want these convictions to come to anything at all. And if you do have them as they continue for a wee while, well, there's plenty of time for you to think about salvation and about the gospel. You young people tonight, on the threshold of life, perhaps the last thing on earth that you want is conversion to Christ. It's going to spoil everything on you, isn't it? All your ambitions, all your aspirations, all your hopes. All the plans that you have. Many people thought like that before you, oh yes. But to my friend, Jesus doesn't spoil the life. He makes it. And what's more, perhaps there are old people in this church tonight who had similar convictions such as you have when they were young. They put them off. There was time enough. Wait till they sow their wild oats. Wait till they get into their 30s and their 40s and their 50s. You ask them tonight. No convictions now. Just hardness of heart and barrenness of life and Christ further away from them than ever before in their experience. That is what the devil does. He blinds the minds of people in case they see the glory of Christ. And if it be that there are some who perhaps may have, may have these convictions and may have these thoughts Christ may have that yearning, that seeking after the Lord he won't leave you like that, my friend. The Lord won't receive you anyway. You're praying for forgiveness tonight. You too great a sinner. You've gone too far. No one has ever been forgiven the sins that you've committed. You better forget it. Throw in the towel. No point in thinking that he's going to accept you. For as the Bible tells you that Jesus says, he will in no wise cast out any who come unto him. There are many people tonight whose minds are troubled beyond almost relief by the thought that he implants in their heart that God will not receive them. That's the blinding activity of Satan. Perhaps I'll just mention one or two, two other things. One that tactic is very fond of, a favorite of his is, well, we can reform your life. There is no need to think in terms of conversion. No need really to think in terms of coming 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no reason thinking terms of giving up everything. You know the spirit which that, with which Pharaoh approached him, Moses say, a challenge and Moses demand, let my people go, that they may worship. All right, he says, and bit by bit, he went a wee bit further. Yes, but don't go too far. You can go, but don't take your children. You see, it's all right, religion is all right as far as. But don't really, you don't need to become all that committed. It is all or nothing, says Jesus. Son, daughter, give me thine heart. Thine heart. Give me your life. Give me your all. You must place yourself and consecrate yourself on the altar of obedience to his revealed will. And there was one man, I leave it at this, there was one man in the history of this world and it took him years to discover that he was being blinded by the activity of Satan in his life. And that was Saul of Tarsus. Man who wasn't religious, he was very religious. Man who was very zealous on the side of his God, so zealous that he didn't want any other name or any other um, movement to interfere with the religion of God in Israel. When this Christian movement rose, this man Jesus and his followers, he hated that. And blinded by religious zeal, he persecuted the church of Christ, as he says himself, even unto prison and unto death. Until the light dawned in the darkness of his heart and his mind. And then he said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my friend, where does this leave you tonight? Where does it leave you? Well, if it is that you're blind and being blinded, the condition that you describe in here is this, if our gospel be hid, it is said to them that are lost. This is a present reality. You're in a lost condition. And you're heading in that condition to an absolute certain lost state in eternity. Here you're lost in the blindness of your own unbelief. And lost under the blinding influence of Satan in your life. Nothing can be plainer, as someone put it, than the doctrine in these verses. That a man's faith is not a matter of indifference. He cannot continue to reject the gospel and yet go to heaven when he dies. He is on a hellward course. Not on a heavenward course. On a hellward course. Lost. Heading for the lostness of hell itself in the spiritual darkness of spiritual death heading for the darkness of eternal death oh my friend is there any hope for you tonight and there is the glorious hope of the power of God in the gospel of his grace the God who can save from the blindness of unbelief and from the blinding influence of Satan. And that is how Paul introduces for us here the miracle of grace, as someone has put it, God invading the darkness of a sinner lost in sin with the light which God is himself. God's grace coming in, God's light coming in, and God enabling you to see the wonder and the glory of Christ our Saviour and to see 
your own need of it, so that you will cry from the depth of your heart, Lord, save me, or I perish. God will bring such into the life and the fellowship and the power and the grace and the favor that is available to you in the gospel of his son. And so my friend, once more, the gospel bids you, or Christ bids you in the gospel, look to himself. Remember the way the hymn writer put it, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Bless, O God, thy word. Oh, we thank thee that thou art the God of all grace and of all power. Do thou shine in our hearts so that we might see what we cannot see apart from the enabling power of thy grace. We thank thee that in our weakness in our hopeless inadequacy, in all our native inability, that we are confronted with the power of one who says, all things are possible unto me. Forgive us for thy name's sake. Amen.